Are there any are there any pieces of of gelato that you've had to implement that you're particularly proud of in the way you've overcome technical complexity and and managed it? That's a quite a very nice question, actually. I I mean, to be honest, there have been many many such uh, successes. I would say that that you know we celebrated. I mean, given that uh, three and a half years ago. I started this project uh, with with Hilma, and it was like our first own big software project. Like you know, we've come pretty far in all those years, and um, I definitely celebrated many like smaller successes just privately, like for for me as a coder. And I certainly, to be honest, like ever since now, like I think we're now thirty people or so on Gelato on the team, and that meant that you know I had to take on a lot of managerial roles and so on. Uh, and I feel like when I was coding a lot, I, I had a lot of these uh, celebration moments. I think life as a coder is quite rewarding because, you know, your work really is fun and you can solve problems every day. And sure, sometimes you have a bug and you get frustrated, but once you solve it, you know, you, 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 you have this moment of celebration. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. I'm your host, Sam Flamini, and today's guest is Luis, aka Gitpusha, co-founder of Gelato Network. Luis has a fascinating story. He taught himself to code about five years ago and jumped into crypto before trying a few things and ultimately finding his way into smart contract automation and eventually the founding of Gelato Network, which is a protocol for decentralized smart contract automation. In this episode, we deep dive Gelato's network architecture, how the Gelato team approaches building developer tooling and APIs, and the specifics of professionally running off-chain infrastructure. If you're interested in importing nodes or off-chain infra, developer experiences, or Are you a DAO or crypto native business with salaried employees? Or do you perhaps work for one? If so, whether you're a team of five or 500, your organization can save time and money by streaming salaries with Superfluid, who also happens to be the beloved producer of this podcast. With salary streaming, your management team no longer has to worry about executing multi-sig operations every month or manually executing hundreds of separate transactions to pay their team. Contributors and employees, on the other hand, get paid by the second, which, to be honest with you, is a pretty killer benefit on the receiving end. Those of us getting paid via stream can connect our wallet to the Superfluid dashboard and see our balances ticking up in real time. It's kind of mesmerizing and feels like you're being jacked 10 years in the future. When you're paid in a stream, it flows in perpetuity until your team needs to adjust compensation, which effectively puts Web3 payroll on autopilot. Salary streaming is easy to set up thanks to our recent integration with CoinShift, the leading crypto treasury management platform. In just a few clicks, you can securely set up payroll for hundreds of employees in just a single transaction, all from CoinShift's dashboard. If this sounds like something you're interested in exploring, you should visit superfluid.finance/payroll and book a salary streaming demo today. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Let's get onto the episode. All right, so we are here today with Luis from Gelato. Welcome. 
Hey, Sam, uh, very nice of you for inviting me. Very happy to be here. Yes, it's wonderful to have you. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to go deep into all things gelato uh, at Superfluid. I got my green Superfluid hoodie on. At Superfluid, we've done a lot of, uh, I think, really integrate, interesting integrations with you guys. We've and Both us and our community have made heavy usage of, of you and your, and your technology. So we'll, we'll go deep into some of the, the tech stuff in a bit. But before we do that, the first question we ask everybody that comes on the show uh, is how they got into crypto. So Luis, how did you get into the industry? Yeah, so um, for me, I think, I mean, I started really knowing about crypto in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, um, back then, basically uh, heard about the DAO uh, and some other things going on, but only really got actively involved uh, in early 2017. Uh, back then, I was living with my co-founder, uh, Hilma, and we were sharing a flat in Berlin. And um, both of us, uh, you know, started trading crypto and um, got really interested in the tech as well. And then actually, I, my all of my attention was pretty early. Like I did some trades. Uh, that's how I got in. But then very early on, I was merely focused on the tech really and sort of captivated by that. And uh, I actually started reading papers, uh, like early Ethereum staking papers. I, I actually wrote like a small paper myself, even though I wasn't even, like a computer science student or something. Uh, I still did it. And um, and then, yeah, eventually just, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically we, we hired some engineers in, in the startup I was working for. And uh, we were doing some private blockchain things, which, you know, bored me a bit because I always wanted to be in the public blockchain space. And eventually I just took the leap. I think it was in 2000. 18 and i just quit my job uh, where i was managing developers I, I was befriending all of them and so on and then i just decided that i wanted to learn how to code just taught myself how to code in 2018 and uh, hilma did the same back then my co-founder at gelato and then we, we both basically started gelato um uh, shortly afterwards in 2019 it was actually our first big software project and, and turned out to be uh, you know uh, something quite big and and, and something that uh, like uh, people and uh, and developers at Superfluid, for example, you know, uh, can use, uh, which I'm very happy about. I love that. I love that arc. Uh, I also was was self-taught before coming into the space. Uh, it's pretty motivating, though, when you have something you know you want to work on at, as you're learning, right? Uh, out of curiosity, what, what were what were like the early days of teaching yourself to code like? Uh, did were you, were you writing code like basically with this idea of what Gelato was in mind? Or were you just tinkering? Like, like what, what were some of the early things you built and worked on that helped with that learning process? Uh, so when I started coding, I didn't have Gelato in mind yet. Um, I already knew about uh, crypto, of course, because I'd, I'd already been super interested in one and, uh, for one and a half years. And I was reading all about, like, sometimes even trying to read some very technical papers on, on proof of stake and so on. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I just started coding, you know, with this CS50 course that you can do from Harvard online. I would recommend it for anyone. It's, it's pretty cool. You, you do some C programming and you learn some basics, I guess, of computer science, but very basic. Uh, the programming part actually is pretty tough, I'd say, because you start with C, at least back then you did. And C, I mean, I never used it again after the course. It's, you know, it, it's quite a tough language to start with. And actually... After I did these first courses, somehow I picked Python um, just simply because I liked Monty Python. I liked the name, so I figured why not. And then I realized that actually, you know, um, it's quite important that you choose a programming language uh, from that is actively supported and used in like an ecosystem that you're interested in. And for me, that ecosystem was crypto, right? And back then, crypto was all Solidity and JavaScript pretty much. 
sure, I think on the client side, you had some Go, you had some Rust maybe already, but but like on the application side, it was Solidity and JavaScript or TypeScript. And so I, I quickly realized that when I was working on like the first sort of project with Hilmar, um, and we were trying to hack something together in crypto um, and both of us uh, were coding novices. Uh, so we taught ourselves Solidity and then, uh, and then Java was needed for truffle or testing and so on. So uh, that's how I got into that. And actually that really accelerated uh, me like 100x or so from the progress I was making beforehand because before I was doing these coding exercises that were like some sort of like contrived use cases and so on, but actually like, you know, trying to build something in crypto made me a much better coder much more quickly than, than anything I did before. And then I, it just so happened that we stumbled upon this grants program from Gnosis back then in early 2019, the, the Gecko grants program. And uh, there we basically applied one of their grants uh, to build something for their now extinct uh, exchange Dutch X, which had to do with smart contract automation. And, and that's how we discovered that automation wasn't supported at all on Ethereum and that we sort of had to build something to make it work. And that, that's how we stumbled upon Gelato in early 2019 and just went down the rabbit hole from, from there on. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's so critical to have like the use cases you want to actually build in mind when you're starting to to teach yourself to code because there's there's just an ocean of information. Like you, you can exactly, spend yeah. you can spend a year just like getting really good at C and then realize, wait a second, uh, I don't want to write anything in C. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, they, there's definitely some some red flags to watch out for there. But I'm really happy that that you did that and that you found something like Gelato to work on. So you mentioned you you kind of are playing around different things, you know you want to be a builder in crypto, so you learn Solidity, you learn JavaScript, uh, and then you come to this idea of smart contract automations. You see that this doesn't really exist in that large of a form yet. Maybe Chainlink Keepers was discussed back then. Maybe it didn't even exist yet, but that's the only other service I can, I can think of that might have been around that early. Uh, how did you guys come up with the idea for Gelato, and what was some of the early ideation like around the, yeah. uh, the protocol? So uh, we were definitely the only ones doing it back then. Um, uh, Chaining Keepers launched in, I think, May 2021, I think. Um, yeah, so uh, we were so basically two years after, after we started the project. Um, and the, how we basically stumbled upon it was we applied for this grant for Gnosis and um, we didn't start out with like saying, okay, automation uh, is necessarily what's missing from Ethereum. It was more like, okay, they asked us to basically improve uh, their then like sort of Dutch auction exchange. And, and how this auction exchange works is like if anybody is familiar with some NFT sales and so on, or even token sales nowadays, still some of them use like an auction mechanism. So how this mechanism works is it was like a reverse Dutch auction where um, Buyers had to place their bids, and then after 24 hours or so, the auction would clear, and and you would get uh, your um, your tokens or whatever it was on this exchange out uh, at the clearing price. Uh, but you you basically have to place your bid, and then you have to wait, and then you'd have to come back and uh, send another transaction to withdraw um, the proceeds. So what we sort of uh, like an idea we had back then was like, okay, um, you know, how about we sort of uh, automate this withdrawal process so that at least you don't have to come back again. You, you simply like, it already sucks that you have to wait, right? But that's how an auction works. But at least, uh, you know, like um, you don't have to come back and do something. Like the, the tokens will just magically appear in your wallet after the auction has cleared, right? 
Um, so we were looking to automation then, and, and both of us were sort of still new to coding and all of it. And we certainly knew about things in JavaScript uh, and so on, like set interval, all these things. Yeah. Right? So we thought it must be quite simple. But then turned out that because of the limitations of a blockchain and the EVM, like something simple like setting a cron drop or an interval to do something uh, was actually not supported at all out of the box. So uh, that's how we basically started cracking yeah. the problem and, and writing code and so on to, to uh, basically uh, ha have this be automated yeah. and, and work within the constraints of Web3, right? So we didn't want to uh, take control of the user key, of course, right? So we had to work with smart contracts here and so on to make everything trustless uh, while still being able to automate something on behalf of the user um, without taking custody of the user at any uh, user's yeah. assets at, at any moment. So that's how we built smart contracts and off-chain components yeah. like bots very early on. And this combination of smart contracts and bots uh, was like our first version where we already saw, okay, like there has to be this decentralized network of bots, we called it back then, uh, with, a smart, with a trustless smart contract protocol that can sort of, uh, you know, um, basically facilitate these interactions between applications and bots uh, so that applications can be automated by bots without the bots being able to, you know, um, charge too high fees or uh, do other things to the applications that, are, that would be uh, not secure for the application. So I think it's pretty clear to people that automation is very important when it comes to really any software product. But I don't, I don't think it was necessarily intuitive for people that uh, with the way smart contracts worked, it wasn't necessarily easy to enable some of the automations, right? And I think one of the big, the big hangups people have with things like running a server to automatically do things. Like if I were to, for example, say, hey, Luis, I'm going to have you just run this server and the server you run is just going to like do all the automations for this entire app, right? That'd be centralized. So I think it's important that, that you came in, you said, all right, we need, to, we need to create a decentralized network of bots, as you said, to solve this problem. But I think one question that I have personally, uh, I think that many other people would have is how... How does the decentralization mechanism work? Uh, this might be a good opportunity to go into the actual Gelato network side of things. So, I mean, that's the, the sort of million dollar question, if you will, right? That's the, the hardest part. And actually, interestingly, our Gelato V1, which we sort of, you know, we had an alpha in, in late 2019 and then V1 launched in, in early 2020. And... Um, our V1 was already designed uh, uh, with sort of uh, trying to get the most decentralization out of the design as possible. Um, and what this basically meant was that we would make it as simple as possible to run one of these Gelato nodes, these Gelato executor nodes, we call them usually, right? Like, so we were building everything. The whole design was sort of geared towards making the lives of the node operators as simple as possible. And this is how like Gelato V1 came about. It had this famous CanExec off-chain function, which you simply had to call from your node software, can, can I execute this task? And then exec for executing the task if it returned true. This is what was uh, basically the, this basic design, which was, was also, uh, I think, uh, you know, copied by chaining keepers. Uh, maybe they have a new design now, but uh, that's, that's I think, what, what happened there. Uh, we now actually, are, since our V2, have uh, a very different design, which is a bit more like making the bots life much harder. Like there, you, you might have to write much bigger sort of off-chain clients to be able to serve all tasks in Gelato. 
but the application developers' lives is a bit easier. So in a, in a sense, when we sort of went away from our initial Gelato V1 design, which is a very simple, nice, elegant design, but um, favoring synchronization, moving to V2, we sort of made this trade-off that it's, it would definitely be the software client would be bigger. It would certainly need a more sophisticated node operator to run it, um, but it would make onboarding apps much easier. And I think this is sort of emblematic of, in general, like um, a learning we made is like you in Web3, you really want to decentralize, right? Like that's our sort of North Star as well, but you can't do it right away usually, right? So um, it, it's like a decentralized network, just, you know, it's like sort of like a chicken and egg problem. And for us, it's, what's pretty clear is that you, first you have to get enough traffic on the network. You have to sort of prove that you can service enough applications and, and also like that that your network is, is and product is being used by application developers, right? And that's what we were sort of focused on in the last one and a half years with our V2. Um, and then like once you have enough demand on the platform, once you have you sort of produce enough revenue, then you, you have a basis for even inviting node operators in, right? And because otherwise, why would they come if there's not much going on there? So I think you really have to solve that past part first before you try to decentralize immediately. And there might be some exceptions to this, but I think it's generally the case for most applications uh, and protocols. And then just be, be careful that in your design decisions, you always include something that allows you to decentralize in the future. And that's what we've done. And right now, if, uh, like we, we are in the process of decentralizing. We are onboarding the first node operators, staking facilities One is one of them uh, now to our network, um, you know, after one and a half years or so of just focusing on application developers. Uh, but that's that's uh, coming now. So we, are, I think, twenty twenty three will be the year of decentralization for Gelato, um, and now we have enough traffic and we have enough applications running. Of course, we always want more, but you know, uh, there, there's enough to to bootstrap a, a smaller decentralized network of node operators. So I, I reckon that by the end of twenty twenty three, there will be about um, five to ten or so uh, sort of uh, node operators. There will most likely still be more sophisticated players like staking facilities and many other of the big names there that are interested in these sort of operations. Um, and eventually we will make it, you know, easy enough as well for our sort of uh, hobby node operators to also participate in the network. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think it it also, that strategy also makes sense. It makes sense as to why you focused on the the applications, right? Um, you know, for example, the the application development process, and we'll go into this in maybe a few minutes, but the process of building on top of Gelato and making use of the services is pretty easy, when you, especially when you compare it to other things that I've played around with in Web3. Where I've, you know, I work in DevRel, so my part of my job is like combining Superfluid and other technologies all the time. And there are some things that are really complicated and hard, but Gelato has been fairly easy. We have someone in our community named Javier, who, aka Donoso. Shout out Donoso, who actually just got a job at, yeah. at Gelato. But he's built a lot of things on Superfluid and Gelato. So it's definitely a pretty good experience. Um, but on the on the side of the the node operators, though, you mentioned that it's kind of sophisticated players doing it right now. But out of curiosity, like what what does it take for those node operators to participate in the network? Like what kind of I guess hardware requirements or specific knowledge should they have before getting involved? Yes, and, th and that's a very good question, of course. So um, part of the reason I think why we in this initial stage of decentralization want to still sort of 
have it be permissioned and not completely open. Of course, the, the long-term vision of Gelato is to be uh, an open marketplace where anybody can like join, spin up a node and start servicing applications, tasks with relaying, with automation, with all of that and, and earn revenue from that, right? That's that's the whole idea. Um, now, part of the reason why it doesn't make it sense for it to be completely open right now is uh, because obviously right now, um, we're still in the early stages of Web3 and so on, and Gelato doesn't want to take huge profit margins for every task it executes, right? Like it wants to keep the margins small. So uh, one part of the reason to keep like this set of Noto operators limited right now is so that at least they can share the pie between a smaller number of node operators and, and you know, that don't get this sort of very marginal return uh, for their operation in these early stages. The more traffic we have, and obviously we always want to grow and grow and grow, the more node operators we will be able to onboard uh, until eventually the network should grow to like a huge size where we have, I don't know, you know, billions of transactions per day or, or hundreds of millions uh, that, you know, basically it can be open and uh, economies will work so that many, many people can join and the network can participate. In terms of requirements, hardware requirements and so on, currently in the first version we will be rolling out, we are basically decentralizing a part of our software stack that we call the executors. That is the lighter part of the stack. There's also the checkers. So the executors are basically running specialized software, our executor client um, in a peer-to-peer -peer network where, where all they sort of specialize in is getting transactions mined on, on many chains. And that actually sounds very simple. Uh, or, and, you know, like a small thing, but actually turns out that it's quite hard to do that on many different blockchains in a very reliable fashion, right? Like, sure, you can write some simple script that gets tran transactions mined, but as soon as you have, you know, uh, tens of thousands of transactions per day on many different networks, dealing with network congestions, reorgs, unreliable node connections, RPC provider connections, all of these things, turns out having like 100% uptime getting transactions on chain all the time for many, many applications in the thousands is quite a hard thing. And that's the executor client that we've built and sort of specialized in over the last uh, three years. Um, and, and for that, I can definitely see like today a hobbyist could run this for sure. It doesn't take too much. You just need a, a, you just need a, to a, a connection to an RPC uh, node that you run yourself, like a Geth node or like use something like Alchemy on Infura. Um, and then we are on like 18 or, or so different AVM chains. So depending on, you know, what connections you have to what networks you can start running your node on these networks. Although we would also probably have some requirements that you have to service at least some of them. So the software itself, I don't think it consumes many resources. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it, it should be like a hobbyist should be able to run it. Then we also have this other part, which we call the checkers, and they're doing the heavy lifting. That is the software that you know, stores all of the tasks from all of the applications that sort of runs these um, checks every block on all the networks to see whether an automation is ready to be executed, to read uh, your automation resolvers, to, to process your payloads, to execute limit orders, to um, basically like serve up a relay API endpoint to ingest all of these relay incoming real-time relay requests and, and sort of simulate them to see if, uh, if they uh, can be executed. So this is the heavy lifting. This I think is quite expensive to run. Like you, you, you need like um, a very scalable node setup for this, or use a provider like Alchemy and, and pay some some bills there for sure um, for all of these RPC requests you you will make when running a checker. So this part uh, we are looking to uh, basically open up to in, in private beta a bit later in 2023. 
Uh, for now, we are we, we we're opening up in, in private beta the executor client to um, to um, you know uh, selected providers like staking facilities and so on, like um, software operating companies that we know have proven that they can operate at scale and so on. Um, because we're still also like pushing a lot of new breaking changes, so we we need someone to run these nodes who can also quickly upgrade their infrastructure and so on, right? So so yeah, I think once the network is at a stage where we don't constantly uh, push new releases where we basically found most of the obvious bugs, made most of the obvious optimizations. Um, at that point, I think we can also open up the executor client to to uh, more people from the public. Uh, I hope that we would get there like by uh, Q3 next year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the doing all of running all of the checker tasks, that is the actual intensive part. That's the resource intensive part. And yeah. so with this though, like yeah. what's like the general workflow here behind the scenes is it you mentioned that they store incoming tasks and then they simulate transactions and then actually execute those transactions right and then there's there's many 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 of those transactions so that's just taking a ton of rpc calls right to do all of that yeah. at once am i my understanding that right totally that's spot on um that's uh basically the the, the main uh, resource uh, bottleneck here is um basically being able to process all of your tasks from all of these different applications on many different uh, blockchains, mm -hmm. uh, process them all at once in, in, a, in a quick manner, right? To be able to spot when one of them is, for automation, to be able to just spot when one of them becomes executable and then execute that uh, to sort of consummate the automation there. And uh, for relaying, it's also just about, you know, having like a reliable relay API, API endpoint where, um, where you know sort of millions of requests can be executed every day um yeah makes sense um so when i like for example if i'm building an, an app and you know i set up a task right maybe i just use the gelato dashboard to do this right but like i set up a task what what happens next does that task go into like a kind of mempool uh does it go into some kind of like like where, where does that go i guess and and how does a how does a client running one of these these processes actually end up seeing that? Uh, does that just go into like some kind of mempool that is a part of this this executor client or, or somewhere else? Uh, sort of, yeah. You could think of, a, of it this way. Uh, we don't call it mempool yet, but uh, so um, when you submit your task, uh, and there's two big sort of ways to submit your task. One of them that we currently employ at, at Gelato Automate is this on-chain submission where basically you use our dashboard, you click submit task, you send a transaction, and then like on-chain, there's an event emitted for your task. That's also the original way that Gelato V1 used to work. There basically um, checker, checkers will pick your task up. They will store them in their local database. This is not technically like, uh, I mean, this is public, right? Your task submission is a public event on a blockchain. So technically you could compare it to like some mempool operation. Um, and then there's the relaying. Uh, for relaying, the submission of a task is off-chain, so you don't need to send a transaction to submit your task. You can just hit our relay API endpoint. And there, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit more privatized, so it's, it's not like a public mempool per se. But you would basically get um, you know um, nodes or, or, or on the other end of this API will will pick up uh, your task there and put it and index it in their local databases. So these checkers basically keep a database of all the tasks in, in existence, and they then um, sort of run run checks uh, periodically uh, for all of these tasks. 
Um, and for relaying, it's very simple. It's real time, right? So the task sort of comes in. There's just a quick simulation to see like that the fee is valid and some other things like depending on whether you use a, a synchronous fee payment. So whether your contract sort of pays Gelato during the transaction or whether you use our new um, one balance system where you the, the, the fee payment is decoupled from the execution, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, in which case you would use an API key to, to, to show that you're using one balance and so on. And then the system can figure out whether your task has sort of like a proper fee payment behind it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but, but that's how it works. And actually quite interestingly, initially, like, like I said earlier in Gelato V2, we had to make some centralization trade-offs in the design where um, um, basically these nodes were using some like message broker technologies and so on, like RabbitMQ and so on that are uh, leading to centralization in the software design. Uh, and we re recently um, basically migrated to lib P2P. So we, we ripped out all of these centralized components like RabbitMQ and so on that are were responsible for communication between nodes and we replaced them with a public P2P network. So now checker nodes and executor nodes can talk via a public P2P network, which means that it's, it's very easy as well for you know third parties um, to spin up a, a Gelato node and, and join the network. And they then start gossiping these tasks to each other on the network and they make sure that they all have these tasks. And in the future, they will even be able to you know, a parallelized execution of tasks to, to divide load up between them and so on. And all of this uh, via P2P. So yeah, I'm quite excited about that, that change that we launched uh, this uh, just recently, like two months ago. So we haven't made a big announcements about it yet, but we, we will soon. Uh, yeah, pretty cool stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, no, you've got, you guys have, you probably had to go very, very deep into networking, right? So you, you probably started off uh, writing some Solidity, playing around in JavaScript, and now you're, you're knee deep in lib P2P and, uh, all of this other stuff, right? Well, that, that, that's pretty interesting. Has anything in particular uh, been challenging to to learn for your team? Or are there any, are there any pieces of, of Gelato that you've had to implement that you're particularly proud of in the way you've overcome technical complexity and, and managed it? That's a, quite, a very nice question, actually. I, I mean, to be honest, there have been many, many such uh, successes, I would say that, that, you know, we celebrated. I mean, given that uh, three and a half years ago, I started this project uh, with with Hilma and it was like our first own big software project. Like, you know, we've come pretty far in all those years and um, I definitely celebrated many like smaller successes just privately like for, for me as a coder. And I certainly, to be honest, like ever since now, like I think we know 30 people or so on Gelato on the team, and that meant that, you know, I had to take on a lot of managerial roles and so on. Uh, definitely, if you look at my GitHub, I've done way less uh, coding. Uh, I mean, my my uh, username everywhere is Git Pusher on Twitter and so on, right? So that that's from the days where I actually, you know, pushed a lot of Git every day. You know, I was making commits and, and coding a lot. Those days currently are unfortunately gone. So... Um, I, I feel like when I was coding a lot, I, I had a lot of these uh, celebration moments. I think... Life as a coder is quite rewarding because, you know, your work really is fun and you can solve problems every day. And sure, sometimes you have a bug and you get frustrated, but once you solve it, you know, you you, you have this moment of celebration. It's, it's I think, um, much easier to celebrate your work when you're a coder and, uh, than it is when you do day-to-day -day managerial tasks where you don't immediately, like, sort of see the outcome. So one of these examples, I think... I mean, first of all, the biggest example was the switch uh, from 
from using centralized technologies for message messaging between our software components like uh, RabbitMQ, for example, uh, switching from that to lib P2P and the seeing it work in action right now, like it works everywhere without fail almost. Like you mentioned, there were some people in our team who now got really into networking as well and into the lib P2P library. Uh, unfortunately, I, I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet myself, but I know that some people have basically looked deeply into it now. Uh, but yeah, I think that was the biggest celebration because it, it once again showed um, that decentralizing is possible. It showed and proved, uh, you know, I always knew it, but it proved, I think, to the team and, and also to myself that we are committed to decentralize over the long term. Right now, we are not fully decentralized, right? But but w this was a big step in that direction, right? So so uh, every year I want to have one of these big steps into the direction of decentralized technologies uh, so that hopefully in, in four to five years we can... You know, we could uh, honestly say that this network is sufficiently decentralized uh, for us to even technically be able to cease exist, right? Like to, to close the company, whatever, and still have Gelato uh, run without, you know, our shepherding. And that's where we want to to to, to arrive at. Uh, yeah. So that, I think that was the, one of the biggest moments there. And then just launching the first uh, smart contract op automation protocol, getting the first users there. I remember, I think our first user was already a big one, Instadep. In, in early uh, 2021, uh, seeing that, that that was huge, uh, yeah, for sure. No, it's very cool. I always like to ask that question, right? Favorite favorite accomplishments or optimizations and things. So it's cool you guys have been able to pull that off, and you're committed to that roadmap. Um, so let let's go back into into running running infrastructure and some DevOps stuff. Uh, so you mentioned that right now it's you know you ha you're partnering with people, and then you're you're slowly going to open it up to anybody being able to run infrastructure to help with the Gelato network. Um, there are people that I, I think listen to this that are that are interested in this, this kind of process of running nodes. Uh, there are people that run MEV searchers. There are people that run Ethereum full nodes that get into Ethereum staking. Uh, for people that are interested in, in participating in the Gelato network in the future, what kind of DevOps skills should they have? Right? Ideally, in, in the end, it, it should be as simple as they just you know, turn on some node and, and that's all they have to do. But I'm assuming that it will take some skills around DevOps, at least in the early days, right? What, what are those skills? And feel free to correct me if my assumptions are wrong, but that's the, that's what I think my premise is right. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely um, it, it is at the end of the day a DevOps endeavor. So, of course, we're making... We're doing our best so that node operators have to do as little as possible other than, you know, the basics running Docker up or something like usually like the way we ship it is like, uh, you know, a, a Dockerized version that you can run like with Docker um, in Kubernetes or, or something like that. So, so, I mean, we have our own node operation, of course, that's how we bootstrap the network, right? And that I would say is a very, very sophisticated node operation. So. There, you really like have to be quite good at DevOps. Uh, we have a DevOps team, uh, you know, who are really good, and um, uh, they're running our node there. Uh, it doesn't mean that you. Uh, I, I would say that's because we are like the, the company that's building the network, and we literally want to run every service, right? That that exists now. Now, like I said earlier, it is possible to to join the network um, with like a, a smaller piece of the stack, like the executor client, for example, and the checker client in the future. Um, where certainly this gets less complex, but still, 
I would say that, um, um, you know, you, you would need to know the basics of, uh, um, deploying something, uh, you know, that, 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 like, a, like a Docker image, I guess, some, deploying something. I don't think you have to use Kubernetes, but, but, uh, probably wouldn't hurt as a sort of best practice anyway, uh, nowadays for most of these things. So yeah, uh, I would say at the minimum, you should be able to deploy like a container and run it on, um, like a cloud platform like AWS or uh, Azure or Google cloud and monitor it and so on. Um, yeah, which is to be honest, easy enough, but, but you, you will have to get comfortable with it. Right. And are some of the best node operators teams, like I'm sure, I guess I'm, you're, you're probably working with teams that are more professionalized. Uh, are, are most people teams? Or are there any like solo people you, you found that are really good? What's, what's been the, uh, the, the common things you've seen? So, um, at some point you definitely need a team, right? So for us, uh, like for our main node, like we want to have a hundred percent uptime, right? And now of course uptime gets better as the more decentralized the network is, right? Like the less single point of failure you have, the better your uptime uh, supposedly, right? But for just a very simple example, why a team is needed for like a large scale operation that many applications depend on, right? Um, because, um, um, basically you, some people will have to be on call, right? Like, uh, all these software companies that we love and use every day in reality, there is every day some, someone on call there and big ones, obviously multiple people on call, uh, to, to get, uh, basically, you know, woken up at night or whatever, whenever, uh, if something goes wrong, uh, goes wrong, if, if one of the services is down, if there's another issue, like someone has to respond, um, and sort of act in these cases of emergency. And if it's like, if you really want to like have high uptime on your note, uh, and it's just you, then you, you would have to put yourself on call every day of your life. And you would have to be like woken up every, you know, every time something happens. So that, that is not very healthy. So for that alone, you need a team to be able to divide shifts up between people to make sure people don't burn out and so on right there when they're on call schedules. I think that's one big example. Now, of course, um, um, of, of course we basically, when you run like our executor client, there is not much you have to do. You just basically have to deploy it. You have to do some configuration and then you should be able to let it run right now. You, you still have to be like responsive to us quite a lot because we are pushing new releases that we will sometimes need you to upgrade to, um, right. Uh, that that's normal, I guess, but for us, it's still not a lot of releases. So that's important. Um, but, but yeah, uh, for, I think for, um, for our client, you know, at least you should probably also be comfortable with running other nodes like Ethereum nodes and so on to get your costs down, um, to, to, to make it more profitable so that you don't have to use Alchemy for everything and so on. But of course you can use Alchemy and Fura. Uh, so yeah, for, for that alone, um, I think it's definitely doable as a single node operator. I, I think it's really cool that, you know, Ethereum like is this piece of software that you can run at home. Um, it, it depends, I would say on, on, on the complexity of, of what you run, but for some of our full blown operations, like the checkers and so on there, I think that at least in the short term, I would like the reason why we, we side with node operators like staking facilities and others, right. is because they have a dedicated team and, and we know that um, the software is still, still also has some faults, right. So there needs to be someone who is on call technically and so on. Um, and, uh, yeah, and Ethereum, right? Like if your node goes down, down, that, that doesn't matter because 
there's enough other people running nodes and it just matters for you because you might get slashed or you, you might lose uh, some profits. But in Gelato, we're still in the early stage where really like every node should be as much up as possible uh, in order to service all these applications, right? So we, we have very strict requirements there on uptime and so on that I think over the long haul are, are hard to fulfill as just a single person. Yeah, it's kind of like if you want to, if you don't care about your uptime, you could definitely do it by yourself. <laughs> but if you want to professionalize yeah. it, you might need a team, depending on how good you are personally. If you really want to have a larger professional operation, you you need a team. I think that makes sense. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. How about on the uh, how about on the the application development side? So you, you guys have spent a lot of time thinking about this. I mentioned earlier that the developer experience is quite good. Uh, both myself and other people that listen, they in many cases are building software that's meant to be used by other people, right? If I'm building a protocol pretty much in any capacity, I'm probably expecting it to be used by other people. I'm writing functions on my smart contracts that I hope other people call. Uh, and, you know, I, I need to think about these sorts of things. How do you like approach like building developer APIs and primitives that other devs are meant to use? Like, how do you think about the design of these things? Um, so one key learning and also one thing that I usually regret um, not abiding by um, is <laughs> to release um, something as quickly as possible. Uh, I think um, because if you spend too much time designing your own thing, you think about all these edge cases and so on that aren't even relevant for users and you usually end up building this massively over-engineered API or whatever, smart contract, whatever, right? So I think the, the key aspect is get this, like find, find a customer, find a user, right? Um, and then get this minimum viable version ready for them, right? And, and the user will have some ideas and so on uh, and that are cool, but don't try to integrate all of them in your first version. Like find out what is the, the, the minimum sort of basic feature set I need for the user to get some usefulness out of this, uh, include that in your first release, release this to developers in, in private beta, for example, to get feedback, right? And then uh, collect feedback on the additional features, uh, see how, like, see if there like are any commonalities in, in, in the, the feature suggestions and so on, and then just go for, for additional nice-to-haves later on in your uh, version two or whatever. But I think that's the, the most important thing is to get your software um, build very quickly, test very quickly, and into the hands of developers very quickly, because otherwise, what we have, what has happened to us, and I think what's happening to everybody in software is, you have these projects where you spend forever on some weird edge cases uh, and everything. You're trying to solve everything before you launch, and then you launch and you find out that half of the stuff, or even more of what you did, no one is interested in, or no one uses. Yeah. So I think that's one of the key takeaways for me in terms of that, and that goes also for API design and so on, like. Get feedback as early as possible, um, um, yeah, and then um, yeah, because later on it, it's hard to also change uh, these things. Like you don't want to, you know, um, have this massive API schema and then like remove half of the stuff on there and, and uh, have a new breaking change every so often, right? Like you want to start very small and then add as you go. Yeah, yeah, I I agree pretty wholeheartedly on a lot of that. Um, we had somebody on a few weeks ago. That said that the like the, the midwit trap uh, of building APIs is to try to solve for every single possible edge case, uh, and it actually can yeah. cause lots of lots of problems for you, right? You confuse people, and you think that adding in these extra seven 
seven features and functions and ways to do the same thing is a good idea, right? But you're really, you're really costing everyone that comes to your code base time and attention of having to decide what to use, uh, sift through this extra stuff. So yeah, 100% agree with you there. Absolutely. The midwit trap is the perfect uh, meme for this because yeah, indeed you should, pr you probably have this very simple use case you're thinking of originally it's on the left of the bell curve and then you have all these nice to haves in the middle and then again, just, just start like be the, the, the Jedi there and just start with the, with this, with the basics. Right. Uh, and yeah, to be honest, we, we did this mistake, uh, just this year with our relay API, where uh, last year we launched our relay, our guests transactions and connect was using it like a very simple version of it. And they had many tons of transactions using that and it was perfectly fine. And then we tried to build this huge API around it all year long and sort of aborted and then had to strip down and so on. And, and only now we're releasing the version two of that. We wanted to release like half a, half a year ago or, or even earlier already. And yeah, we had to go through this pain again where we completely over-engineered it. And then at the end, just decided to remove a bunch of stuff again. But we had to, at that point, had to re-audit everything, had to retest everything, right? So, so in, in smart contract development is not agile at all, right? Because you have to audit everything and so on. So it really cost us, I would say, a couple of months and this mistake of trying to fit in too much into a V2 release, we should have gone simpler. And now, now we are releasing this Relay V2 right now as we speak, and it's simple now again. Uh, yeah, so happy about that. Yeah. yeah, sometimes the answer is just do less, right? We all, want, we all want to be doing stuff and feel like we're doing stuff, but the answer is sometimes you just slow down, you know? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah. you there. Can we, can we walk through quickly like how someone who's building a smart contract would actually make use of Gelato? Right. So like, let's say that I'm building a smart contract that allows uh, an executor to provide some kind of automation, right? Like I know I have to add this function, right? Called the checker function. Uh, and I I've done this before, but I think it'd be good for you to explain to our listeners, like, how does this actually work? Like, like how simple is this? This is in my experience, this is pretty simple, but we'd love for you to walk people through it. Yeah, sure. So that's for, um, I mean, currently there are two big ways to use Gelato and two like different use case sort of universes. <laughs> the first one and, and uh, the sort of original idea of Gelato is the smart contract automation. And there, all you have to do is basically you have to deploy a smart contract that, uh, you know, this could be your application and maybe in your application, you have one function that, I don't know, you want to call say once a day, for example, maybe once a day you want to publish uh, a list of winners in the game or something, right? Um, and, um, or it could be more complex things. Um, but at the end of the day, what you could, what you have to do there is simply, um, use our uh, Gelato Automate protocol. And there's a nice UI, which makes it very easy for you to interact with it and so on. Uh, but all you have to do on your smart contract side is basically just, uh, you know, um, make sure that, uh, Gelato can, um, process this automation. So there's some permissioning that you have to do to make sure that, you know, um, only Gelato can, can actually automate for you. Otherwise someone else, you know, if you keep it open, someone else might exploit this, this, you know, access to the function there. So you only want Gelato protocol to be able to automate for you because Gelato runs the required checks and so on uh, to make sure that the automation is actually also triggered correctly. And for that part, uh, for these checks and so on, they, they, they're also, they can be quite simple and something like, okay, every, every 10 minutes, right? But it could also be very complicated custom um, logic that you can write. And, and there we have these so-called resolvers. 
So you, you literally just have to deploy a resolver smart contract, which um, is, is an on-chain um, sort of on-chain reads all of the data that you want uh, to, to read for your condition to either be true or false. And uh, then you have some evaluation of all of this data on chain, right? And then your resolver function simply returns true if, if, if the automation should be triggered. And it also returns the contract payload, uh, for example, the, um, for the call. And then off-chain, basically, like once you submit your task with your resolver in the task payload and so on, off-chain, what, what's, what happens is your task will be, um, you know, uh, indexed by the Gelato network. And then constantly, like these checkers will check your resolver function. They will um, process it. And, and once your function returns true, uh, they will go and execute the payload that you specified on the contract that you specified. And this is how you you have automation. Makes sense. Yeah. It, it Basically, once once the, the event is emitted, it goes back to what we were just discussing earlier, right? With the entire process of how the, the actual checkers work. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's pretty simple, right? So you guys have done a good job there on the application development side. You've made it straightforward. You can create, update, and delete streams automatically uh, using Gelato and Superfluid, right? So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see the continued decentralization and uh, other things you guys build. So I love it. Um, cool. So I know we're running up on time, but one, one final question here that we like to ask everybody as a kind of closer is uh, what you hope the industry looks like five to 10 years from now, right? We're in a bit of a builder's, I won't say bear market, but a builder's market right now. Uh, how do you hope all of this evolves in the coming decade? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, let, let's call it what it is. We are in the bear market, uh, but we, we started Gelato in the bear market. So I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable in these uh, terrains. Um, um, yeah, so, so probably it's also not your first bear market, I, I would suppose. Um, maybe this, uh, if it is, buckle up. Because, um, yeah, for the next one or two years, uh, if you started in the bull market, it's definitely very different, right? Like for the next one or two years, um, a lot of your friends or, or family and so on suddenly won't ask about crypto. Or maybe they will just uh, ask why, what are you still doing in crypto because it's dead, right? So, but yeah, uh, these are the right times to build stuff and to prepare for the next bull market. And how would I like, like, well, you know, what, what would I like to see in five years? I think what makes me a bit sad about the last bull market is that like we had all these cool new DeFi primitives from DeFi summer. Definitely that was pretty cool. And um, we had NFTs and so on, um, make it to the mainstream. But I think overall, um, we still didn't onboard enough people into crypto. And that's mostly because the onboarding experience still sucks, right? Like you have to, you have to buy crypto on an exchange to do anything. So for that, you already have to wait for weeks for your KYC to be confirmed that if you even get a confirmation and then, you know, uh, send money to the exchange, buy crypto, send it to your then MetaMask wallet, which is like horrible onboarding with seed phrases and so on. And so many things that can go wrong. You can be scammed easily and so on. So all of that, I think like, I would hope that uh, on the application layer, we and, and, and there, I can already see the first uh, things happening here with gasless relaying that we offer in Gelato, right? And, and also with signless experiences. So I would hope, and hope that the applications of in four years, at least for the user onboarding, new user onboarding, give users a way to interact with crypto protocols, with crypto games, all of that without having to, you know, um, download MetaMask browser extension, back up a seed phrase and go to an exchange, 
get registered there and, and send money into the MetaMask and, and do something, right? Like that's, yeah, that's not how we reach the next, you know, a hundred millions of, of onboarded users. So I'd be totally fine if applications make some sort of security trade-offs, um, maybe even some decentralization trade-offs just for the user onboarding part, just to get people hooked. And then hopefully we will uh, have cool things like account abstraction and so on and, and uh, smart contract wallets and so on that make it easy for users to get onboarded and, uh, um, and, and, and actually then upgrade to this more secure, more trustless, more decentralized way of, of handling their keys. But, but yeah, that's where I would want to be at. Uh, I don't want to ask users anymore to uh, download MetaMask and get crypto to do, be able to do anything, right? That, that, that's, that's too hard too difficult yeah no I, I agree with you and i think some of the some of the work that's being done on account abstraction will help with that by the time this episode airs we'll have another uh, another one out with julian who's the founder of argent we went really deep into account abstraction mm -hmm. on that one so uh if you're curious about that nice you should go listen to that one uh it'd be good but no Luis, thank you so much for for coming on today this has been a great conversation Thank you, Sam. Uh, yeah, I had a great time here. Thanks yeah, a lot. Of course. Where, where do you want to point people online? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm uh, at GitPusher. So that's G-I-T-P-U-S-H-A. So basically GitPusher um, on Twitter. And uh, in general, follow us on Gelato Network. You can visit our website, gelato.network. Uh, you can find developer documentation there for Gelato Automate, for Gelato Relay. Um, yeah. Um, you should join our Discord um, and, uh, yeah, happy to help developers in Web3 automate their smart contract applications or, um, you know, um, offer gasless transactions to their users with Gelato Relay. Love it. We'll put those links in the show notes. And, yeah, thank you again for coming on. Thanks.